It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Albert Einstein once said, The pursuit of truth and beauty is a sphere of activity in which we are permitted to remain children all our lives. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So Jonathan, what's our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is ghosts, reincarnation, and humanity. What's real? And Rick, this is part two. And our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Okay, Ghosts, Reincarnation, and Humanity, What's Real, Part 2, and Julie is with us as well. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. So the reason why we chose this topic is we had a listener from South Africa write us an email at inspiration at christianquestions.com to ask about how karma and the Bible work together. And good karma is generally said to lead to happier rebirths. So it got us to talking about reincarnation. Here is an amazing fact. According to the Pew Research Center, as of 2017, 29% of American Christians believe in reincarnation. So this is an important topic to get right. All right, then. So coming up in today's podcast, reincarnation in the Bible don't mix. Or or wait a minute, or do they? Is reincarnation real? Some insist it is, and that Jesus himself taught it as truth. So find out what Jesus said, and if it squares with reincarnation in about 15 minutes. Evil eye jewelry, talismans, and amulets. Do these things fit into the protective measures we should take to keep evil away? Well, we'll talk about that in about 30 minutes. How about this? If you put reincarnation and biblical teaching side by side, what would be the same and what would be different? Find out that in about 45 minutes or so. So now let's get started. Life and death can be confusing, and we generally fear the death part of the equation. We all want life to mean something. For Christians, that meaning comes through what we do with the one life we are now living. By focusing ourselves on being like Jesus in the here and now, we make the world around us better. By God's grace, and if we are faithful, we have an eternity with Jesus later. For those who believe in reincarnation, it's very different. They see this life as one stop in a massive cycle of lives that eventually is to produce a purification and unification in a God-like state. So, if Christianity is all about attaining perfection and reincarnation is essentially about the same thing, could they be compatible? So, Jonathan, as you mentioned, this is part two, so we just want to do a quick quick recap of part one, um, because we went over in part one all about ghosts and the idea, well, are ghosts real? And the answer was no, not according to scripture. So we're going to just do this brief recap, and it really has to do with God's rules. It has to do with disobedience. 
and God's proclamations. So the Bible is clear, and this is all in part one, folks. Go back to part one to get, get more on this. The Bible is clear that death is the absence of life. And Jonathan, three scriptures from Genesis. Let's start with Genesis 2.17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, simple, straightforward statement. Don't do that or you will die. Now go to Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This was spoken before there were any preconceived ideas of life after death. And when God said you're dying and you're you not your body, you, Adam, are returning to dust, he meant that your life stops. Romans 6.23 verifies that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, and we've got several other scriptures. Again, we encourage you to go back to part one to get more on the mortality of humanity. We're going to come back to that in a different way later on in today's podcast. About ghosts, again, by way of review, ghosts are not disembodied human souls. A couple of scriptures on that, Job 14, verses 13 and 14. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Notice if he dies, will he live again? So death is the absence of life. Job is telling us very straightforward that that's the case. Jesus tells us that as well. Listen carefully to a scripture that you're probably familiar with, but maybe we don't listen to it clearly enough. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. In their tombs, there is no work or knowledge in the grave where you go. Jesus calls you back from that. The way he called Lazarus as a picture of resurrection back from the grave. He was in the tomb. He was decomposing. What about evil spirits? Well, we know, based on part one, evil spirits are real, and even though they are restrained, they can still wreak havoc in our world. So a couple of quick scriptures, just again, by way of recap before we get into reincarnation about evil spirits, we'll start with 2 Peter 2.4. For if God spared not angels when they sinned, but cast them down to Tartaru, and committed them to chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Okay cast them down to Tartarum. We discussed what that was in part one. It is a condition. It's not a place. It's a condition. The word is a verb, so it means an action. It's a condition of restraint. And th- Another scripture that gives a sense of something horrible, and that is demon possession, Matthew 15, 21 and 22. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So we know that that is real. And so here's the thing. In, in part one, we talked about all of those things. And again, we're not going to focus on those things today. What we want to focus on here is about reincarnation. But we needed to put all of that in place to make today's conversation uh, valid. It has to have a starting point. So understanding the soul and all of that that we just talked about, what about reincarnation? What is it 
How is it said that it works? And Julie, let's get some background on that. Well, according to Wikipedia, reincarnation is the philosophical or religious belief that the non-physical essence of a living being starts a new life in a different physical form or body after biological death. And it's also called rebirth or transmigration. And now Wikipedia went on to say, resurrection is a similar process hypothesized by some religions that involves coming back to life in the same body. Now, Wikipedia happens to be wrong on that point, just mentioning, because from a Christian perspective, resurrection is not coming back in the same body. First Corinthians talks about giving them a body as he shall see fit. So that is, that's a conclusion. I understand why they draw it, but that's not a proper Christian understanding of resurrection. So the idea of reincarnation is this non-physical essence of a living being starting a new life in a different physical body or form as a new person kind of a thing. Very different than resurrection. Very, very different. How big is reincarnation? We're going to go to a soundbite, and this is, this is several years old. This is from CBS News, Reincarnation Alive and Well in Today's Culture. This is about something called a reincarnation convention. More than a thousand people gathered at this New York City Conference Center on a recent Sunday, coming from around the world in hopes of an out-of-this-world experience. The next step is we're going to bring the lights down. At up to $139 a ticket, they seemed confident that through hypnosis, they could uncover lost memories, not just of this life, but of past lives as well. Be there back there before your birth call them come as you were events reincarnation conventions no longer considered completely off the wall they are growing in popularity so the idea of reincarnation has a lot of popularity and there's a lot of people in the world that believe in it What do we do with it as Christians? That's really our question here. That's what we want to deal with today in this podcast. So, Jonathan, we don't believe that reincarnation is a biblical process. We're going to talk about that. So at the end of each segment, we want to just put in place a resurrection over reincarnation statement. What what have we garnered so far? With biblical principles firm, a reincarnation examination can stem from reason. God's stated plan must always be the backdrop to examine any belief system. So if you look at life through the lens of the Bible or through the lens of Christianity, always have a backdrop of Scripture and God's stated plan before you endeavor to go and adopt some of these very different kinds of doctrinal beliefs. You know, it's fascinating to realize how many ways humanity views our journey through this life. So glad for God's plan. Reincarnation is a widely held belief. Is it possible that the Bible could support it in any way? What's up, everybody? It's your CQ voiceover guy, reminding you we also want to talk to you before and after the podcast. Send us a message at ChristianQuestions.com for any and all feedback, or message us on our social media channels. Have a topic idea or just questions about what we're talking about? Reach out at ChristianQuestions.com. Now look, it might sound like an odd thing to try and combine reincarnation with the Bible, but some claim that they are connected. 
Not only do they say they're connected, but they say Jesus is the one who ties the two together. So let's look at the scriptures in question and then take the next step in establishing biblical truth on the matter. And what we want to find here is biblical truth. Before we get into the scriptures, though, let's go to uh, another soundbite. This is from Trend Max, Reincarnation 10 Real Life Stories. So we picked a couple of those stories to feature in today's podcast, and these are experiences that people have reported. Now, do we believe it's true, actually, reincarnation? No, but they have a sense of it, and they have a lining up of what they're calling proof. So you've got to give it a listen, and you've got to give it the credibility that, hey, this is what they say, this is what they said, this is what they remember, so forth and so on. So the first one is about a young man named Ryan Hammonds. Ryan Hammonds, United States. Every father dreams of having a healthy, strong, and beautiful child. This is exactly what the Hammonds family got with the arrival of little Ryan. However, all that happiness was overshadowed when the child turned four years old. It was then when things began to change drastically for this peaceful Oklahoma family. This kid started having disturbing nightmares frequently. His tiresome sobs awakened his mother Cindy, who went to Ryan's bed every night with the intention of calming him and getting him to sleep. This was all in vain as little Ryan's nightmares did not have an end. On many occasions, they could hear the child saying that he wanted to go back to Hollywood. Was this possibly a real reincarnation? Cindy took Ryan to a local library to find some clues about his supposed past life. He pointed and recognized a photograph from a 1932 film called Night After Night. George Raft starred in it, a well-known celebrity from the 30s, and by his side was an actor who Ryan looked at with surprise. His mother took him to Jim Tucker, a famous psychiatry professor at the University of Virginia. Marty Martin was the name of the actor in the photograph, during his sessions, Ryan identified a total of 55 aspects of the deceased actor's life. Dr. Tucker is skeptical about reincarnations in children, but he most certainly believes in possible paranormal origins to this phenomenon. And it's interesting, in other interviews with this Dr. Tucker, you hear his, uh, his, um, his downplaying the, the child part of reincarnation for all these reasons. But, you know, you have this young man who has these, 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 these thoughts in his mind, and these are the things that they say. So what do you do with that? You say, well, they're crazy. Well, nobody's crazy here. But, you know, we've got to ask the questions about what feeds the thought and how have we potentially fed thoughts that we didn't even know we were feeding, sometimes even by the way we ask questions. Anyway, there's a lot to it. We'll let you kind of think about that. So, Jonathan, let's get to the scriptures now and look at how some say Jesus actually teaches reincarnation. So let's start with Matthew eleven fourteen to 15. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. He who has an ear, let him hear. So they say John himself is Elijah. Bingo. Here you have Elijah reincarnated into John the Baptist. Let's go a little further. Matthew 16, we were in Matthew 11, Matthew 16, 13 to 16. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter 
Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Rick and Julie, I was thinking about the value of names in scriptures. Hmm. And I think God is teaching us deeper understanding in verses with names because names have meanings behind them. For example, Elijah means Yahweh is my God. John the Baptist means Yahweh has been gracious. Jeremiah means Yahweh will raise. And as we all know, Jesus means Savior. So you've got the value of names, and that's a really important aspect of understanding how to read Scripture. Julie, go ahead. Yeah, but doesn't this Scripture that he just read imply that the people that they were list, that were listening to this expected reincarnation? Who are you? Well, I think he's John the Baptist. I think he's Elijah. I think he's Jeremiah. How else could they have thought that that's who he was? Well, you know, at the greatest stretch— it would have been resurrection. Oh, is re- but you know you have no sense of reincarnation anywhere in Scripture, anywhere. And to take this verse and say, well, this is proof of reincarnation because he's saying this person is that person. It, it's really a stretch. And what we're going to find, let, let's examine. We'll, we're going to examine the John the Baptist connection in just a second. Jonathan, go ahead. No, that's what I was going to say. Didn't Jesus talk with John the Baptist? Wasn't he his cousin? Well, yeah, and that's the other thing, is the two of them were on the scene at the same time. So how could yeah. he have been reincarnated? You yeah, know, who do some say question. that I am? John the Baptist, really? Well, wait, didn't he baptize you? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, there's this confusion of the people that they don't know. And it's almost like throwing out guesses. I don't know. It's pretty mysterious. So is it stating a clear-cut belief of doctrine? No. Because the in- interesting answer, Jesus, is no none of these, and, and Peter gets it right, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're none of those things. So, you know, even if you th- say, well, they were thinking about it, Jesus corrects it all and says, well, none of it is true anyway, okay? Anyway, let's go into John the Baptist and Elijah a little bit, because there is an important connection. You know, Jonathan, you talked about names. Well, explaining these verses— some commentators allude to a belief in reincarnation in their explanation. So, Julie, you're right when some say, well, you know, it could have been. Um, and we do know that Greek influence deeply corrupted, corrupted Jewish, Jewish thinking during the 400 years between Malachi and the birth of Jesus. We can't say that these texts prove this, but we can say that that possibly could have been floating around in the Jewish mind at that time. It could have been. No question about it. But was it real? That's the key. Was it being taught in Scripture? That's the key. Let's look at Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is the last book of the Old Testament. These are the last words before a 400-year silence, and then Jesus comes on the scene, you know, is born in John the Baptist and all of that. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children— and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So Malachi says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Whoa, okay. Does that mean he's resurrecting Elijah the prophet? Some say, well, look, maybe he's reincarnating. Well, let's let's go a little further. It's prophesied that Elijah would come, and again, at its furthest stretch, it implies resurrection. Because, you know, reincarnation, incidentally— never uses the same name. It's always a different person, a different entity. So if Elijah's coming back, you're not saying he's being reincarnated. It's like, it's Elijah. So 
let's understand the meaning of Elijah. Jonathan, again, you, you gave us a good introduction with the meaning of names. Let's notice how Elijah is identified by his work. In Malachi, it was talking about the work of Elijah, restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Let's go to Jesus' words now, Matthew 17, 11 and 12. And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So now Jesus is saying that Elijah already came, and he goes on to say that that was John. So is Jesus saying that John was Elijah, the physical person, or is he saying the work of Elijah, as was prophesied, is being put in place? Well, think about it. What did John the Baptist do? He brought the people back to righteousness to prepare them to accept Jesus. Remember, he was all about realize that you're sinners, get yourself ready because something really, really wonderful is coming. And then Jesus said, Elijah is also going to come again, and this is going to be shown in the reconciliation work of true Christianity. So what we're seeing is, and we're going to read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19 in a second, but what we're seeing is the picture of the work of Elijah is shown in John the Baptist, and the work of Elijah is shown in the true church later on toward the rest of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we know that we don't reconcile the world now, but that's the work we're being prepared for. Remember the scripture that talks about a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to call out for God's own purpose. That's the purpose. It's the work of Elijah. So it's not about the person. It's about the work. And Jonathan, you nailed it when you talk about names, because names were symbolic of what that person stood for. Exactly. So when Jesus says Elijah came in the form of John the Baptist, he's not talking about the literal person. And Elijah is to come in the form of the true church in the reconciliation in the day of judgment. He's not talking about the person. He's talking about the work, the mission of Elijah. See, it's, it's, it's about the work. You know, when we say dare to be a Daniel, everybody's heard that phrase if you're a Christian. And what do we mean by that? It's not that, you know, we're, we're saying, okay, you should become Daniel now, and maybe you'll get to experience the lion's den. It's dare to stand up for that which is right and true in the face of incredible odds. Dare to be brave and courageous for the sake of God's plan. But for Christians who believe that the Bible teaches reincarnation, there's a few other scriptures, some key scriptures I just wanted to raise up to you. Did Jesus reveal past lives? Here he's talking to the great multitude after he had miraculously fed them. And that's in John 6, 30 to 32. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Okay, so the argument for reincarnation is that Jesus doesn't say, Moses, who gave your fathers the bread out of heaven. Instead, he says, 
Moses, who has given you the bread out of heaven, meaning the exact same people who were challenging him had been with Moses in the desert. Now, back then, those people had constantly challenged Moses and they were unbelieving. And this pattern is now continuing with Jesus, goes the argument. The reincarnating people would say that this next test, text in Deuteronomy confirms that those exact people lived back in Moses' day when Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 said this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Okay, so you see, Moses doesn't say in his foreshadowing of Jesus, I will raise you up a prophet from among your children's generations in the future. He instead says, I will raise up a prophet among you, indicating that these would be the very ones to whom he was speaking would hundreds of years later see and hear the Messiah. And of course, this would imply that they were all incarnated in exactly the same group. (laughs) Years later, they must have been on the same karma cycle. But do you see the point here? Uh, No. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't. Because, and and look, folks, uh, respectfully, respectfully, this is as big a stretch as you can begin to make with Scripture. So, Julie, you talked with John 6, 30-32, and you say the reasoning is because it says says that Moses has given you the bread out of heaven. Right. Well, in verse 31, one of the verses you already read, it said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Okay, so Jesus is actually telling you it's your father's. And then in he goes in John 6, 49, a few verses later, he says, your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness and are dead. So look, the idea of trying to pull a phrase out to, and, and I'm going to be blunt, to, to fit a fanciful belief is out of line when it comes to Scripture. We can't go there. It is very clear about that. And if that scripture is not enough for you, go to John 6, 58, or Acts 7, 51 to 52, or Hebrews 3, 9, or 1 Peter 1, 18. They all say the same thing. Your fathers. So it's talking about previous generations. There is no, zero, nada indication that it was you. And when Jesus says you, he's talking about you as the stiff-necked nation of Israel. And he's saying, get over yourselves. You were stiff-necked then, and you're being stiff-necked now. So I, I do get the point, but the point has no scriptural grounds. Okay, well, <laughs> I have this next one that I'm sure I will be able to convince you about reincarnation. Are you ready? This oh, is very I'm easy. I'm ready now. <laughs> <laughs> what about Job one twenty one? It says, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. It doesn't get more basic than this. You live, you recycle, you get reborn, you recycle, you're back to the mother's womb. Okay. Okay. Let's be reasonable. You show me one example of anybody in the world of reincarnation that says, okay, you know what? I was born, and then I died. And then my mother, my same mother, had me again, but as my brother or sister oh. 20 years later. Really? Th- that's yeah, not even... I don't think we've heard that. Well, no, we haven't, because it doesn't exist. Okay, so from a pure logic perspective, if you're trying to take the Scripture... See, what... And again, folks, look, I apologize if I'm, 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 I'm being over the top here, but 
what's being done is you're taking <laughs> you're taking sacred scripture and you're trying to make it say something that it has no intention of saying and and that 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 gets to me further if you just want to go a little further and you believe in the words of Jesus when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about being born again Nicodemus says well can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and Jesus says no 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 of course not so Jesus debunks it, not even talking about it, because it's not even a thing. So, no, it, it doesn't make any sense there either, Julie. Anything, okay. a, anything else? <laughs> well, we've got a few other scriptures that reincarnators might cite, so we're going to add those to this week's CQ Rewind show notes. Instead of going over them here, you can get those free on our website or on the CQ app, and you can sign up to get them as soon as they're ready in our weekly newsletter by texting all one word, CQ Rewind, to number 22828. So just to end this discussion, these Christians who believe, um, they see plainly that the word resurrection is all over the Bible and it is taught. So in order to correspond it, um, some Christians who believe in that would say that resurrection then becomes the end point of this continual cycle of rebirth. And it was, if it wasn't for resurrection being this state of freedom and a final ascension to paradise, that constant karma of sowing and reaping and living new lives would continue on indefinitely. So they've melded the two, this new age concept or old concept of reincarnation with resurrection, but it all ends at resurrection. Okay. But no, no good either. No <laughs> you know, good either. Well, okay. no, no, think about it. Think about it for a second. Show me a scripture that explains what they just explained. Well, there, there isn't one. Exactly. Okay. Look. If you're going to base something on scripture, it should be a scriptural statement on which you base your thinking, not an inference, not a, to be blunt, not a wish. It should be a scriptural statement that, that, that stands up in its own context. And those scriptures all need to harmonize. Yes, absolutely. So this, this is, a, this is a, an interesting place to go. But it, it really doesn't bear any fruit in terms of credibility from a scriptural standpoint. And it's amazing to me that sacredness becomes polluted and reformed. And that contaminated version becomes sacred itself. You know, that, that's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we don't want to go there in any of our beliefs, in any of our, not just this one, any of our beliefs. Having said all of that, let's go on to another another reincarnation, 10 real life stories from Trend Max. This is for, uh, about a, a, a young person named uh, Duminda. Duminda Bandara Ratnyaki, Sri Lanka. Duminda started to narrate his past life when he was only three years old and claimed that he was a monk. Therefore, he decided to follow the doctrines, behaviors, and restrictions of the monks. Surprisingly, he said that he was a veteran monk from the Asgiria Temple, who at the time of death suffered a severe pain in the chest area. He also claimed to own a red car and spoke with great emphasis about an elephant and a small radio. Incredibly, the story told by little Duminda matched that of monk Mahanayaka Gunapana's life to a T, so he could be in front of irrefutable proof of his reincarnation. I wonder how many monks you had to look at to find one that had a small radio and is monks and dealing with monkey uh, elephants, really? Elephants, yeah. You know, elephants. I mean, I mean, folks, let let's try to be reason. Look, look, you know what? I have I have a granddaughter. She's four, almost five years old, and she has got one of the most vivid imaginations you'll ever imagine, ever see. And she can tell you a story that she did, things that she did, 
that are just fantastic and it sounds real because she's got the details down. Does that mean she actually did it? No, because what you ask her is, so Autumn, was that something in your imagination? And she smiles and goes, yeah. You know, (laughs) if you feed it, guess what you're going to get? Something to blossom and bloom, which may not be the most uh, advantageous thing. Let's go at this from a different perspective, okay? Oh, I'm sorry, Julie, go ahead. Well, those who believe in reincarnation say that some indications that you've been in a past life is maybe vivid dreams, like uh, especially reoccurring ones. And since many of your past lives, you might have been a different race or a different gender, that feeling uncomfortable in your present body might be an indicator and a sense of deja vu when you visit unfamiliar places. Or you might have an instant rapport with certain strangers, and that's because it's thought that you surround yourself with the same people as your lives progress. Uh-oh. Jonathan. Yeah, that sounds like trouble, Rick. Yeah, it does. Remember? Why? Why is that trouble? Well, when, when you and I met for the very first time, how long did it take us to become fast friends? It was an instant connection. <laughs> yeah. We became Bosom buddies. Yeah, <laughs> like, like three seconds, you know? Yeah. So, so what does that mean? What it means is sometimes people connect. Let's not try to make it more than it is. Let's give credit to the human form and the human mind and the human psyche and its connectivity with other human beings. Folks, it's a beautiful thing that God created. Go ahead, Jonathan. I was thinking of... uh, uh, I was thinking of the the concept of soulmates. And in fact, we talked about soulmates on on past podcasts. Uh, And... Basically, I learned recently that it is tied to reincarnation. Uh, It's called the soulmate continuum. (laughs) The concept is finding those you were married to in your past lives and getting together with them again. Okay. And again, folks, you know, you can look at it that way if you'd like. But if you're trying to do it from a scriptural perspective, please, please consider the context of scripture and what it teaches us about life, death, resurrection, and accept the fact that humans are miraculously made, and we are able to connect with some people in ways that we cannot even imagine. Thank God for that kind of connectability. Let's go about this at a whole different perspective. Let's look at the idea of immortality. Reincarnation assumes an immortal being, right? The Bible does not. The two New Testament words that describe the elements of immortality, Jonathan, what, are, what do they mean? Incorruptibility, unending existence, and the last is deathlessness. Okay, so unending existence is one word, and deathlessness is the other. Let's take a look at a few scriptures that use these words. Romans 2.7 to start with. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. Okay, seek for immortality, seek for unending existence. That means if you're seeking for it, does that mean you have it? No. Okay, I lost my keys. I'm seeking for my keys. Do I have them? No. You have to go get them because you don't have it. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 54. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption— and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, this uses both words. 
but it's saying that we are corruptible, we are mortal, we don't have deathlessness, we have to put that on. Folks, please, look at the scriptures and accept the doctrine that they're showing us that is so clearly stated, that we are not inherently immortal. Listen to the beauty of this scripture about immortality. 1 Timothy 6, 16. Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And again, the who only has immortality is who only has deathlessness. And if you want to believe scripture, you've got to take that at what it says. You know, it's interesting— Ancient Egyptian culture was steeped in the thought of life continuing after a physical death. So there's a lot to this, but the scriptures aren't playing that game. They're teaching something very different. So Jonathan, as we wrap up uh, this section, resurrection over reincarnation, what do we have? The Bible is consistent in telling us the dead are dead and verifying that immortality is not inherited to our human lives. Okay. The Bible is consistent. We need to allow its consistency to teach us rather than trying to lead it someplace it is not going to go. See, the further we go with this conversation, the bigger the gap between biblical principles and reincarnation. Should mystical, physical objects be part of our efforts to stay safe and become more spiritual? Did you know we have one-page companion Bible studies for our most recent podcast episodes? Listen to the episode, follow along with our CQ Rewind show notes, and for your own bite-sized Bible study or group study, check out the Bible study questions content. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Bible study in the main menu. Have some study time and then contact us with any additional questions or comments. Now let's continue the conversation. Okay, talking about mystical mystical objects like good luck charms and talismans might sound like an odd thing to insert into our conversation, but think about their relevance. Reincarnation is about a slow, lives-long transformation to spirituality. Having objects to protect us in our journey would seem logical. So where do these things fit, or do they fit at all? Should a mystical, physical object help us accomplish that appropriate goal of being transformed toward spirituality. Julie? Recently, Karina wrote us at our email address, which is inspiration at christianquestions.com. And she asked us, she said, I'm obsessed with good luck and bad luck charms and remedies. Is it okay to be a Christian, but wear evil eye jewelry at the same time? Now, before we answer, we wanted to share some research on good luck charms, especially evil eyes, uh, summarized from Wikipedia. You know, and Julie, before this, I'd never even heard of this stuff. Just, just well, say because you're not really up on jewelry. You, that's but. true. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, go ahead. The terms amulet and talisman are often used interchangeably as something bringing good luck or warding off evil or bringing special positive energy to a person. Examples, a lucky rabbit foot, horseshoes, four-leaf clovers, garlic, horns, crucifixes, Aladdin's magic lamp, magic wands, crystals, statues, even written words. 
Yeah, like abracadabra. And so using such things was a really ancient practice back in Roman Greece. And even there's in the uh, museums, many museums have these King Solomon era amulets. And uh, the Eye of Horus, a lot of us have seen the Eye of Horus. It's an ancient Egyptian symbol of protection and good health. And they found in their burial chambers, they were often made in the shape of an eye. And it was meant to protect the Pharaoh in the afterlife and to ward off evil. Now, in Christianity, we see medals worn around our neck or holy water or making the sign of the cross. These things have been used for centuries to ward off evil. Okay, so what you're saying is that even within Christianity, we have these symbols, these physical symbols that have been adopted through time, as well as in in all kinds of pagan perspectives. Okay, that's right. And see, this is this is interesting, and this is important because we want to understand how this all works together. Although some Muslims believe amulets are forbidden in Islam, some denominations consider them permissible magic to be used under certain conditions. Buddhism uses many different types of magical pieces. As of right now, there are over twenty four hundred hundred Hindu amulets being sold on Etsy.com. Twenty four hundred. Different kinds? Different kinds. That's amazing. See, again, this is stuff that I just have never, never, never thought existed. Okay, so what is the evil eye our listener uh, was asking about? Exactly. Let's pinpoint that because, again, I have no idea. What is that evil eye all about? All right, so the evil eye is a superstitious curse. And it's believed that you get it by either an evil glare or even if somebody pays you a compliment. That could be the evil eye. And so evil eye jewelry is one type of round talisman or amulet that's used to protect the wearer against that evil force. And it's odd that both the problem and the solution are both named the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. The evil I mean, eye is like- the problem, but you have an evil eye to get rid of the evil eye. So it's represented by a black dot surrounded by a light blue circle, then a white circle, and then a dark blue outer circle. And belief in this evil eye, it is very strong around the world. It's real popular in Asia and Latin America and Africa, um, Central Asia and Europe. Do you want to see how prevalent it is? All right. Everybody near me, I know, has their cell phones. Grab your cell phone. Okay. And start to text somebody. And instead of texting them, type in the word evil eye. Okay. And you will find what comes up is... An evil eye. It became an emoji in 2018. Oh, good heavens. I see it. I see it. That's how popular it is. And if you want to see what it looks like, type in evil eye, and there it is. Uh, delete, delete, delete. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. You see, now, again, so folks, what, what we're saying is things that you may be very commonly aware of and very comfortable with. that are everywhere around us, we need to just understand it. So this this is a big deal. Go ahead, Julie. I I literally saw an evil eye dish towel today at the store. Yeah, you you texted us a picture of it, didn't you? Yep, evil eyes all over, (laughs) but that's to protect your kitchen, I guess, from... Bad cooking? Oh, Oh, no. Doesn't the Bible speak about an evil eye? Like in Matthew 6, 23... But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay. All right. So 
if thine eye be evil. And again, folks, let's understand, because there are words in the ancient text, it doesn't mean they, those words meant what we have adopted as a meaning now. Okay, and that is absolutely a completely different meaning from that Matthew six twenty three text. And to, to to get into that, if we look at Matthew six twenty two, the verse before it says, "The eye is the lamp of the body." So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. So it's talking about the eye being the what what you see is what you absorb into your life. Okay, and that is a physical fact. And so what Jesus is saying is, if your eye be evil, in other words, if you see and are looking for things that are evil, then your body, you, will be full of darkness. It's a really simple, straightforward uh, uh, scenario. Okay, it's, it's about what we see. It's not about some symbol to protect you from evil. Not at all. Jesus is saying, watch what you see, watch what you absorb, because you need to clarify those things in your own life. How about God's perspective uh, from his viewpoint? Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And we know this is God's providence in our lives. But look, Satan creates counterfeits all the time for something good. Uh, anything that is sacred is subject to corruption, and that's why Israel was separated from other countries, other nations. Anything, that's a really good point. Yeah, anything sacred is subject to corruption. Is that what we choose to do with that which is sacred? So many observant Jews will avoid talking about what valuable items they own or any good luck that's come to them, and in particular with regarding their children. So if any of these are mentioned, the speaker or the listener is going to add in Hebrew or Yiddish, without an evil eye or no evil eye. And another way to ward off is to pretend to pl 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 spit three times, to spit at evil. And in India, I read, it was really interesting, babies will wear black eyeliner. They'll put black eyeliner on them or even parts of their umbilical cord inside a pendant tied to a black string to ward off the evil eye. And, you know, we've got many listeners in Trinidad and Tobago, who knew, um, where it's thought that babies are especially vulnerable to people who look admiringly at the child or give them a pat on the head or if a parent becomes obsessed with their own child. So newborns wear bracelets of black beads or a bag of blue dye on their clothes as a preventative measure. Wow. Wow. I know. I had no clue. Well, let's get to our answer uh, for Karina uh, and her question again. Is it okay to be Christian and wear evil eye jewelry at the same time. Now, as a Christian, our protection comes from God and not good luck charms. Amen. Those who claim to be a Christian take on certain responsibilities. The apostle Paul described it in this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So he's saying we're an ambassador, and an ambassador is someone who represents his country in a foreign land. As Christians, we represent Christ. People watch what they say and do. Uh, why would we want them to associate the evil eye with our Christianity? Oh, very, very, very well stated. You don't want those things associated with following Christ. Look, an obsession with good luck charms is a distraction to our Christian walk. Let's be clear. These 
distractions should all be left behind because we're dealing with God's wisdom rather than inanimate objects. And Jonathan, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That should be our standard of what we do, what we say, what we think, and what we wear. So instead of wearing evil eye jewelry, we should be wearing the armor of God, right? Oh, I like that. Yes. And it's God's providence. Is It's not, you know, to a Christian, we don't have luck. It's what God has allowed in our lives, and we want to go with whatever his will is. And we don't receive God's protection from any physical object, even if that object has been, I'm going to air quote, blessed by a religious authority. Right. So it's not about objects. It's about our spirituality. It's about our dedication and our loyalty and moving our minds into the mind of Christ. That's really what it comes down to. Okay, enough of the jewelry for right now. Let's go back now to a little bit of the, well, what if and what about and science in relation to some of these children with their thoughts of having had a previous life. This is from our child, our child reincarnation stories, real from D News. And this lady talks faster than me, so you got to pay really close attention. Let's look at the scientific alternatives here. Studies published in the journal Consciousness and Cognition found that people who believe they lived past lives are twice as likely to make memory errors as the general population. Specifically, source monitoring memory errors, where you forget where a thought or idea originally came from. They found that when people with this tendency are repeatedly asked to talk about a suggested idea, like, say, having a past life, some of them go on to convert the idea to a full-blown false memory. In the psych world, this is called the power of suggestion, the great power of the mind to realistically blur the lines between a story or idea that's been suggested to us and something that's actually happened. Researchers at Harvard found similar results in alien abduction studies. They also found that these source memory errors are more common in people with vivid imagery skillage in the brain. They respond to and imagine experiences in more vivid and realistic detail, making it easier to misattribute information as a memory when it isn't. Of course, this effect is exaggerated for little kids who are particularly vulnerable to the power of suggestion and forgetting where an idea came from, especially if it was planted by, say, their parents. <laughs> By their parents. It's amazing the ideas we can plant into our children's minds. So Lori, one of our CQ volunteers, told us the story of one of her clients who told her about a past lives cafe in Japan where you pay $10 and you hear about each life that you once had. And of course, it's strongly recommended that you ask and pay for a minimum of three lives. <laughs> and hearing who she had been was really appealing to this woman. So she brought her family members to the cafe that next week. And her client thought this was a Christian idea from the Bible, so assumed that Lori would be very interested in it which, of course, she was not, and she was horrified. Interesting. And, you know, we're going to get to the idea of the appealing past lives in the next segment in just a, in just a moment. But, Jonathan, let, let, let's wrap this up. We've talked about a lot of different things in this segment, a lot of with the jewelry and the paganism and all of that. Resurrection over reincarnation, how do we sum this up? Because reincarnation is unclear in its process, it lends itself to vague and mystical attachments to ward off evil. The Bible is specific about our personal responsibility to apply and make use of godly protections to keep us away from evil. Where will you choose the protections that you will use in your Christian life? We need to be careful to not get sucked into searching for good luck instead of applying God's protection. What's the bottom line? 
If we put reincarnation and the Bible side by side, what are the differences? Our YouTube channel has a lot going on. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Featuring new releases every week. Check out our playlists like CQ Kids, Moments That Matter, and CQ Bible 101. Plus, we have even more new series content planned to roll out soon. So stay tuned at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Honestly, looking at the two philosophies together is going to be very revealing. What we will find is that reincarnation is mystical and in some ways beyond consciousness. The Bible, on the other hand, lays out a clearly defined plan with significant markers along the way. These are two dramatically opposing views of life. And to to make it simple, reincarnation, those who advocate for reincarnation tell you that reincarnation is cyclical. Your life goes in cycles again and again and again with the hopes of getting somewhere. The plan of God is linear. It moves forward from point A to point B to point C, and you don't go back to any of those. You keep moving forward. So we're going to present four basic points of comparison between reincarnation and its belief system and the scriptures and what they teach us. So Julie, get us started. What's the first reincarnation point? Reincarnation reveals a mystical path to enlightenment. And throughout the rest of this podcast, we're going to quote excerpts from a website called joincake.com, specifically an article about animal reincarnation. So this website said this, Hinduism is one of the oldest religions on earth, and it has a very deep concept of eternal life through many reincarnations and rebirths. Hindus believe that both humans and animals have souls, and both of them are caught in this death and life cycle. Okay, so you've got this mystical path to enlightenment. Now, before we go on to the biblical perspective, remember what what uh, what Julie said about uh, Lori's client who was was very fascinated and very pleased by the past reincarnations. I want to play you a soundbite from CBS News, Reincarnations Alive and Well in Today's Culture. And this is more of a skeptical look at the whole process. Listen carefully. The concept of reincarnation goes back some 3,000 years to India and Greece. Although it's largely been rejected by Jewish and Christian traditions, Boston University religion professor Stephen Prothero says it's alive and well in pop culture today. Americans are fascinated by the idea they have lived before. The skeptical part of me about the past life thing is that just statistically the odds are that in my past life I was a Chinese peasant, right? But hardly anybody ever is a Chinese peasant, you know, everybody is Cleopatra or Mark Antony or, or Jesus, you know. In the Indian tradition, reincarnation was undesirable. It wasn't something you wanted. I mean, the goal was to get out of this life. But in America, we see reincarnation as this sort of great second opportunity. You say, I'm going to be, you know, an accountant. In the next life, I can be an astronaut. Julie, go ahead. And, you know, if we don't remember what, if we don't even know for sure, unless maybe we have this vague deja vu, what have we learned from each cycle? Like, I don't understand what the point is. Right. And that is one of the things that we're really going to develop here as we go further. So reincarnation reveals a very mystical path that is supposed to bring you to enlightenment. So Jonathan, what does the Bible reveal? Well, Rick and Julie, the Bible reveals a clearly defined path to eternal life. And uh, we can find that in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6. 
And this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So here the verse says, all men are saved. All are in the path of enlightenment and will come to a full discernment of the truth. And all are covered by Jesus' ransom. So you see the difference. Reincarnation, a mystical path to enlightenment that is not very well, it's not well-defined. And by, by definition, it's not well-defined. Biblically, though, the path to eternal life is very clear that all are bought by Jesus. And when it says all, it doesn't leave anybody out. Everybody has, is given that opportunity. So that's a very major difference between this mystical path and the clearly defined path that the Bible talks about toward eternal life. So that's the first point about the path. Julie, what's the next reincarnation point? Reincarnation reveals a need to get better in this life while being ignorant of past lives. And continuing from that article at joincake.com, it said the concept of the afterlife and reincarnation in Hinduism is linked to karma, which means you're born again in a better or a worse form depending on your deeds performed during life. Okay. So reincarnation reveals a need to get better, uh, but you're not, you don't know. And you mentioned that before. It's like, wait, what, what's the point? You don't know what happened before. So how do you know about getting better? We're going to develop that a little bit further. But first, let's go to another level of skepticism from the CBS News uh, soundbite, Reincarnation Alive and Well in Today's Culture. I don't think there's any chance that this is true. Michael Shermer, the founder of the Skeptics Society and the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, is, no surprise, skeptical about reincarnation. I think it's a complete construction of our brains, uh, projecting ourselves into a future state that doesn't exist. It's a way of dealing with the anxiety of uh, losing lost loved ones and losing our own lives and coming to grips with our own mortality. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Well, that's interesting because God created humans. He didn't create spirit beings. He created man from the dust of the ground. So from a biblical perspective, it, it's very, very different. Julie, go ahead. So would you say that that's a satanic influence by trying to convince people that we're spiritual, temporarily being human? Well, think about it. Satan's first lie was, thou shalt not die. Remember? Because God said, if you eat of the fruit of the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Satan said, no, 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 that's not true. You won't die. So is it satanic? Yes. Why? Because it's built on the foundation of the father of lies, first lie to humanity. So absolutely. So, you know, are we saying that you should be careful with this? Yes. Are we saying you should dabble in it? No, don't go close. You don't need to be a part of this. There's much more to this. You have to understand. And that's why we're putting the two side by side at this point. So we've got the reincarnation revealing this need to get better in this life while being ignorant of past lives. So Jonathan, what does the Bible reveal? Well, the Bible reveals a recognizable enlightenment opportunity for each and every human being. Okay, now, the called-out followers of Jesus know unequivocally that their opportunity is now. And we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10-12 through 12 in, in two pieces. 
For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Okay, now you have received mercy. We know that today is the day of our salvation. We know that today is the day we need to be transformed. The world, however, will know their opportunity when it's revealed to them in the future. That's what the day of judgment is actually all about. A lot of Christians look at the day of judgment as like, oh, you don't want to be there. Actually, you do want to be there because it's a day of reckoning and accountability. And the rest of uh, the, the verse, uh, we're in First Peter chapter 2. Jonathan, let's read verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So glorify God in the day of visitation. That is the day of judgment. So you see, what this is talking about is the Bible reveals this recognizable enlightenment, and it's an opportunity for each and every human being. Whereas reincarnation reveals this need to get better, but you don't even know where you've been, so you're not sure of how to get to where you're going. So it's very mystical, and the, the scriptures, though, again, are very linear, very clear. They give you what happened, what's happening, and then they tell you what's going to happen. And everybody, according to scripture, will be able to see it. So those are the first two points. Julie, what's the third point on reincarnation? Reincarnation reveals forward progress and backward failures in theory. And continuing from that article, it says, in both Hinduism and Buddhism, reincarnation as an animal is viewed in a negative light and seen as a step backward in the journey to self-mastery. Followers are instructed by the religion to help souls in a lesser form regain a higher level of reincarnation. So how are we going to help the worms regain a higher level? If you're an animal, how do you know? How do you help a lower animal form, a dog or a cat, learn a lesson so that they can grow and be better? Especially a cat. You're not going to teach a cat anything. <laughs> Spoken by a true cat lover. That's true. Yeah, you know, and, and that's an interesting question because they talk about you're supposed to help, but there's no sense. I mean, is it that you just treat them nicely? I, there's not a clear-cut, logical um process here. It's very, again, I keep using the word mystical because I can't think of anything that's that's more clear. So we've got this forward progress, backward failure in theory, but you're really not sure where you are. You just want to be going forward, going up higher. Jonathan, what does the Bible in contrast reveal? Well, the Bible reveals a clear-cut time of accountability for every individual's wrongdoings. Okay, we clear. find that in Jeremiah 31, 29 through 30. In those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. So you have very well-stated, undeniable accountability. And it says in those days, they're not going to say this is what happens, but something different is going to happen. You have disclosure with accountability, which means you have understanding with accountability. Reincarnation, I don't get it because you don't see that. There's a big difference between the two. Our fourth point, Julie, what's the reincarnation side? Reincarnation reveals individuals attempting to find spirituality on their own by way of countless lives over countless centuries. 
And continuing from the article, it said, interestingly, rebirth in Buddhism is considered to be a part of a painful cycle that only ends when you've achieved enlightenment and mastery over earthly desires. Buddhism believes in a concept of six realms that someone can be born into based on their karma. Three of those realms are considered heavenly. There's heavenly, demigod, and human. And then the other three, animals, ghosts, and hell, are considered to be hellish. Okay, now it's interesting they have hell in all of this as well. And, you know, and, and, but again, it's a very mystical, individual process. Everybody's going at their own rate of speed or go, going with their own with their own their own experiences. Scripturally, it's a very different story. Before we get to the scriptures, Julie, go ahead. Real quick, I'm just gonna say that that Jeremiah 31, 29, 30 scripture with the sour grapes and the teeth, we're gonna add a little bit more about that. We don't have time to go into that scripture. We'll put that in the rewind just because it could be a confusing text, just been reading it. Okay, good, good. Thanks for that. So you've got this individual journey from reincarnation. What does the Bible reveal? The Bible reveals a full-scale teaching, accountability, and growth process engaged in by all who choose obedience. And see, this is going to be clearly, clearly laid out, and it's laid out in many, 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 many prophecies. We're just going to choose one in the interest of time. We're going to go to Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Now, it's going to show us teaching, it's going to show us accountability, and it's going to show us that growth process. Teaching is in verses 1 and 2. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So you see how it talks about nations coming to a realization they want to learn, and they know where to go to learn. There is consciousness, and there is the, the idea of thirst for knowledge and wanting to move forward because you have been raised and you see God's glory unfolding around you, and you want a part of that. So there's teaching, very clear-cut teaching that Micah talks about. There's also accountability, and the first half of verse 3 shows us that. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, distant nations. So there is accountability. There's several other scriptures that talk about being accountable for all of our words and our actions and all of those things. So it's in a time of accountability. But folks, the thing is, you know what you're accountable for. It's not some, well, I think I was this or that in my last life. I don't know. And I'm not sure what I've learned or where I'm going. This is clear. This is, this is focused. This is about you growing toward perfection. And finally, we have that growth process. And these scriptures, these next verses are thrilling. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. They will never again train for war. Think about that in the context of the world in which we live, and think about beating your swords into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. Think about a complete paradigm shift because you've got Jesus running the show, because you've got God's government here on earth. That is the process, the linear process 
of Scripture that every human being gets to be a part of. It is clear, it is concise, and it's about making things work because of Jesus. Jonathan, our final reincar- uh, resurrection over reincarnation point. And Julie, Re- why don't you start us off? Reincarnation prevent- presents a path from bad to good that is individual and therefore has no time limitations. The Bible presents a plan and time frame to go from sin to righteousness based on justice and mercy. Because of Jesus' ransom price, it includes all humanity in its invitation to approach eternal life. There is a massive difference between reincarnation and scriptural process, scriptural prophecy, and what resurrection is. So folks, you know, as we wrap this up, what we want to do is we want to understand that the Bible gives us answers. It doesn't leave us hanging. It doesn't leave us wondering. It doesn't leave us in this area of, oh, maybe I need a good luck charm. No, what we need, what we need is to understand that God has a plan, that you and I are all in it, and that because of Jesus, everyone has a chance at eternal life. Everyone. Will it be easy? No. Is it going to require work and, 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 and being honest and, and, and rising above and becoming mature? Yes. But isn't that what reincarnation says? Except that the Bible says it in a clear, concise, scriptural, prophetic, true way. That is what you want to hold on to. Think about it. Folks, listen, we, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, next week, are we supporting the right world leaders? Are we supporting the right world leaders? The world is in flummox right now. What's going to happen? Well, we'll talk to you about that next week.